0: Uh, Hello everyone, Uh, we're back again in Tensor Voices. I am Eliana Duarte and uh, today we're very happy to have uh, our guest Mateusz Michalek.
1: Thank you very much for uh, this uh, invitation. It's always a great uh, pleasure and opportunity to talk about uh, tensors. Uh, I am uh, a professor in Konstanz, recently moved here with my family. And I would say that a vast majority of my work is related to tensors because uh, these objects appear everywhere, not only in mathematics, but uh, also in other sciences. And I would be very happy to answer any questions questions you might have about tensors
2: excellent uh hi thomas here i'm also uh on board and um yeah so are there any concrete uh applications or uh, areas outside of mathematics where you have uh, worked on tensors or what is like your favorite area outside of mathematics that features tensors maybe let's get started with this
1: so um, a good thing about tensors is that um, they—it's um, hard to pick just one uh, domain where they appear because they—they um, they really appear in a few. Uh, I can—I can say why I believe uh, this is the case. Uh, now uh, let me start by saying which which are the disciplines where tensors appear. It's certainly computer science, certainly statistics and physics. Uh, these are at least from my perspective, uh, I would call most prominent and. Uh, also, in my work, uh, these are the main areas uh, where uh, tensors uh, appear. The reason why, uh, why uh, they appear there could be different. But first of all, it's a very powerful language that generalizes concepts that we know from mathematics, from vectors, through matrices, linear maps, polynomials. All of these things uh, are, in fact, tensors. And um, that's 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 why these uh, objects appear everywhere. They are also quite old, uh, actually. Before this talk, I, I tried to see where tensors were introduced, and that was already in nineteenth century, uh, slightly maybe informally. I hear noted. Uh, definition uh, of void from uh, from uh, eighteen ninety eight that a tensor is an abstract entity represented by an array of components that are functions of coordinates such that under a transformation of coordinates the new components are related to the transformation and to the original components in a definite way i don 't know how mm-hmm. you feel about it I cannot <laughs> understand such a Definition. I'm not even sure if they meant by tensor what, what we mean. But the funny thing is that this appeared in a book on crystallography. Mm-hmm. So already then, tensors uh, uh, were considered as objects that also appear outside of mathematics.
2: And and transformation behavior appears. I, I find this interesting because this is uh, something that sometimes in uh, mathematics we don't put in the foreground, but in physics this is more pronounced. You have like some... Object and that's uh, characterized by how it behaves under coordinate transforms because uh, symmetry is more in the foreground.
1: Exactly. So, 19th century mathematics was very much about symmetry. So, so I would say even more than now. Physics is still very much about symmetry. I heard people uh, saying that uh, special relativity is just determining by which transformations physics law should be invariant. Yeah, our our mm-hmm. three-dimensional space around us uh, is not something that comes with a coordinate system. It's more something that uh, comes with transformations. And this is one of the reasons why the reality is often described by tensors, because these are the objects that transform well from the very beginning. Uh, from the very beginning, the first definition i read it already said that tensor whatever it is it should be something that well transforms under the coordinate change and uh, it's also an array so if you would like to know uh what's a tensor one of the first definitions, this is the way i would say computer scientists mostly think about it it's just an array of numbers so you can imagine a three-dimensional box filled with numbers so I, i i hope we already have a feeling why why maybe tensors appear uh, in physics. Uh, There is also another reason that is related to statistics, is that tensors are perfect to describe probability distributions. I would say uh, that uh, another point of view on a tensor that it is just a probability distribution on a finite set of states. And I would say that uh, from the usual studies we have, we are used to represent a probability distribution as a vector. So, for example, if we have a coin, mm-hmm. we can say that there is one half of tails and one half of heads. Yeah, That's a vector, two numbers, one half and one half. This is something we know from linear algebra. Maybe it's not a fair coin, and then it's a different vector. It's one-third and two-thirds, but it's always a vector. Now, what would happen if we would have more coins, like two coins? Uh, Then two coins can be in four states. And here we see that we would already have a matrix.
2: Yes, four is two by two. Two times two,
1: exactly. Mm -hmm. Four is two by two, and uh, we we would put this probability distribution in a matrix where rows and columns are indexed uh, by the states of the coin. So we could say that the probability of heads and heads is, for example, one fourth. Heads and tails is one fourth, and so on and so on. Now. If we think about it this way, the definition of a tensor comes to us very naturally because we can have three coins or four coins. Mm-hmm. And if we have a three coins, then our probability distributions would need to be indexed by three states. For example, heads on the first coin, tails on the second coin, and heads on the third coin. That would be one entry of our tensor honest tensor and that's why vectors matrices are special cases of of tensors and this is why tensors i would say the main reason why they appear in statistics and in physics also in physics as probability distributions
0: so what are those less prominent areas in which you could also see tensors
1: well, uh, the the areas in which I I wouldn't say I work a, ma- a lot are engineering and uh, uh, and how how tensors uh, appear there. But I would like to also uh, go back to one the, of the areas I, I already mentioned that I feel more familiar with. It's computer science. So here, tensors usually represent algorithmic problems and methods from algebra to study tensors. They can answer very basic Uh, complexity questions, very deep but basic complexity questions uh, in algorithmics. My favorite one is how to solve a system of uh, linear equations. I'm sure every student knows how to solve, I, I don't know, let's say we have seven variables, seven linear equations, how to solve it. But it turns out that how to do it fast in an optimal way, that's a hard problem. Do you mean solving linear equations? So, so like, you know,
2: Gaussian elimination, this kind of uh, thing?
1: Exactly. Gaussian elimination is the method we use. And let me bring here uh, uh, the title of uh, an article due to Strassen that is now over 30 years. And the title is Gaussian elimination is not optimal. Mm-hmm. That's a title <laughs> of a breakthrough paper that says that uh, there are other ways and there are faster ways to... Uh, to do very basic linear algebra operations, like computing inverse matrix, computing the determinant, multiplying two matrices. We all know how to do it from first year of our mathematical studies, but it turns out to be a very deep and open area of research: how to do it in an optimal way. And the final answer is not known. So this is uh, this is an area in which everyone can contribute to. And I hope that maybe in hundred years this will be already known. Uh, what's what's the complexity of the best algorithm to perform such basic linear algebra operations? Only
2: uh, only hundred years. Don't you hope to see the solution? I mean, maybe medicine advances a lot, so we. Be able to see something that's <laughs> invented at in 100 years.
1: It's very hard to say because I believe that will depend on the structure of the answer. If there exist fast algorithms to solve these problems, I hope I will see them someday. But on the other way- hand, if there are no such algorithms, then tensor methods also allow you to prove non-existence of a FEST algorithm. Mm-hmm. But this is much more complicated, and then I might not see the answer.
2: Mm-hmm. So I think we can also be a little more explicit so this matrix multiplication it will also uh, feature in our course uh, a bit so the, the big question is that uh, whether quadratically many so what is the complexity of multiplying uh, two n by n matrices is measured in number of multiplications uh, of numbers ah, and the question yes. is um, so n cubed will uh, certainly suffice because um, um, well w- what's the basic arithmetic operation
1: so, so is what is good is that is if we look just at the exponent, if we ju- just look, it doesn't matter and we should look at multiplications. Okay. But multiplications will also bound the total number of arithmetic operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is very common in uh, in computer science that we at least before determining the exponent, we don't care so much about the leading coefficient or a constant. So we will, we will prefer an algorithm that has the complexity thousand n square than a complexity one times n to the third. Mm. And um, n here is the size of the matrix that either we want to invert or compute the determinant of, or of two matrices that we want to multiply. And the question is how many arithmetic operations we need to perform uh, to to compute the result. Uh, And uh, there is a constant known as omega, defined uh, as, uh, as an infimum, such that we can do it formally for every epsilon in time O of n to omega plus epsilon mm-hmm. so this is quite formal but it more or less means that we can multiply two n by n matrices in time n to omega what mm-hmm. i said it's not true but it gives a correct mm-hmm. feeling and the big conjecture is that that we can that omega equals 2 which is which is i would say is completely shocking it means that adding two large matrices is almost as complicated as multiplying them and this is very counterintuitive. If anyone had tried adding two seven by 7 matrices mm-hmm. and multiplying them, it seems that one task is easy and the other is impossible. Uh, but uh, maybe for very, very big matrices, these two tasks are not so so different.
2: But you call it a conjecture, so you believe in it? Or?
1: Um, that's a good question and it very much depends on the day of the week, whether I believe it or not. So b-
2: today's Tuesday, so what's... <laughs>
1: Yeah, so if, I, if I'm if i an optimist and if I say this conjecture is true, then I would also hope that in my lifetime I would see a proof. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if this conjecture is false and then I'm a pessimist, then I'm a pessimist all the way down. I also think that I will not see that this is false in my lifetime.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So proving it probably is easier than disproving it. Uh, Maybe it would be interesting to see where the tensors appear here because we suddenly switched to complexity. What does it have to do with arrays of numbers and so on?
2: Yeah, so what does it have to do with arrays of numbers?
1: That's, that's, I think, uh, another point of view on... Tensors and a very modern one, so the definition of a tensor I read I think it would be incomprehensible for any not only student but any working mathematician. but the modern approach uh, to tensors is through i would say k linear maps mm-hmm. so um i I will not maybe explain what is a linear map, but um, Um, There is a well-known construction in mathematics that identifies linear maps and matrices. And uh, um, we, we like to identify those objects, although they are not exactly the same, because when you have a linear map... To make it a matrix, you need to fix bases, and this is these are these transformation rules that we mm-hmm. learn at mathematical studies that tell you how a matrix changes. So a matrix, just an array of numbers, when you change the bases, and uh, a very similar things happen when we talk about two linear maps. So a linear map takes a vector and produces a vector. A two-linear map takes two vectors and produces a vector. And you can define it just if you know what's a linear map. Basically, the the fact that the map is two-linear means that if you fix one of the two vectors you take, you happen to have a linear map. Mm -hmm. So if you fix one, what you are needing is a second one to produce a third one and you want that map to be linear. That's the definition of a two-linear map. So it turns out, and if you know what's a two-linear, you can extrapolate this definition to k-linear maps. And tensors could be formally defined basically as k-linear maps or three tensors could be defined as two-linear maps, just like matrices are defined as linear maps. Now, What's a two-linear map that everyone knows? Well, take a vector space of n-by-n matrices. n-by-n matrices form a vector space. Why? Because you can add them and you can multiply them by a scalar. Now, if you take two n-by-n matrices, consider them as vectors, elements of a vector space, you Mm -hmm. can multiply them getting a third matrix,
2: and that's so, a bilinear map. That's a two. And linear that's
1: map. a bilinear map. Why? Because if you because fix of a the matrix
2: distributive law. Yes, matrix exactly. Multiplication.
1: Exactly. If you are multiplying a matrix A times B plus C, mm-hmm. that's the same as if you are mat- multiplying a matrix A times B and adding to that a matrix A times C. And so hence, that's one test. Exactly. Matrix multiplication of n by n matrices is just one tensor. So it's a point, again, in a vector space, a tensor product. And uh, uh, we can can, uh, just study the properties of this one tensor Mm -hmm. to understand a very deep, open problem. I think it goes back thousands of years. People were wondering how to solve linear systems uh, Mm -hmm. of... uh, uh, of uh, equations. And in modern language, they are just trying to understand this one tensor with very, very special properties.
2: It sounds uh, much more manageable if you say it like this. Although I, although it is, uh, to be honest, a family, right? It's not one tensor. It's one tensor for every N. It is one I, tensor then, for every N. And then you want to understand this family, maybe. But I, I heard that N equals 3 is already uh, not... The 3 case still has some challenges.
1: Exactly. So, multiplying three by three matrices, you might know you you know everything about multiplying three by three matrices, mm. but actually, we don't know how many multiplications mm. are needed to multiply two three by three matrices. There are bounds. There are bounds if you want to do it approximately, uh, but. Uh, the final answer is uh, still an open problem, a challenge that stays before all of us. So neither an explicit answer for three-by-three matrices or an asymptotic behavior. We don't want an exact answer for n-by-n matrices. We just want to know more or less, how this tensor behaves. But all of these are very challenging open problems, uh, very fascinating from my side. So we have this one object, a tensor, that uh, appears as a probability distribution in statistics and appears as an algorithmic problem in complexity theory. Uh, I also find it fascinating that in physics, a tensor actually describes a state of a given physical system. Uh, maybe I, I think this is, this is uh, um, a fascinating topic because it's very modern. So if we talk about a coin, uh, we, we often consider probability distribution if we are about to throw a coin. Yeah? If I have a coin in my hand and I put it on a table, it's either heads or tails. There is no probability distribution there. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that in modern physics, even if you have a system, now you're not describing it in future, it's not just in one state. A small particle at a given moment actually needs to be described as a probability distribution. Mm -hmm. So it has some probability of being in one state and a different probability of being in another state. And we are not saying about future, we are just describing a system as it is. So, uh, so a probability distribution would be good to describe one particle. Now, guess what would be good to describe a few particles? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, a tensor. A probability tensor. Exactly, and. Tensors are designed in a way to capture very important phenomenon in quantum physics. So this uh, this idea that a particle can be in a few states uh, uh, is called quantum physics. Now, it turns out that if you have two particles, they can influence each other in a very non-trivial way. If you have two coins and if you throw them simultaneously, you wouldn't say that what happens on one coin influences what happens on the other uh, coin. But in quantum physics, you have something called entanglement. And it really means that when the particles are entangled, you should look at the probabilities of their states together. So it's not enough to know the probability distribution on one system of particles or one particle and another. You need to know the probabilities uh, of the particles being, let's say, particle one in state A mm-hmm. and particle 2 in state A and so on for all of the states and Mm -hmm. this provides you actually more information than just knowing the probability distributions for one particle and for the other particle and the way to describe it is precisely a tensor very nice
0: the way you're describing it seems that you're interested in like the transformations between the two systems like of, of particles which brings us back to like the initial point of tensors being transformations
1: that is true so uh, so uh, the the way you would like to describe a particle and again there are many ways in physics people often look at spin up and down so in that case you can you can say that there is some distinguished basis but a very powerful technique is to change that basis and um, to see whether whether you can express your tensor in a in a different way for example if you want to know if uh, if your particles are are entangled or not then these transformation rules already play a, a very important role
2: okay so we had uh, matrix multiplication physics uh, and statistics and now is there also some area of mathematics only that um, that you would say is just mathematics like, what, what is like a just mathematics question uh, about tensors or does it all come from um, applications
1: certainly tensors uh, appear in uh, pure mathematics and are studied from the uh, purely mathematical uh, point of view and again I would say it's amazing to how many things tensors correspond to
2: uh, so maybe I'm just being naive and I'm asking you a question like, what are matrices good for? And it's, it's, it's like an inconceivable question because they're just a tool that's everywhere as linear algebra is everywhere.
1: The, the question is very good. And let me, let me give a few examples where tensors appear. So far, we were talking basically about tensor product of vector spaces, uh, and uh, we were talking about vectors or matrices. But it turns out that in pure mathematics, tensors are related very much to geometry, and I would say they are related at least in two extremely important ways. So, from one hand, a tensor generalizes a crucial concept in algebra of a polynomial. Every polynomial is a tensor, just as maybe you know, that a linear form, a linear form, uh, well, what is it? It's an element of a vector space, of mm-hmm. a dual vector space to the vector space on which you work in. So you can say that the linear form is a vector. OK, uh, now what about a quadratic polynomial? Uh, there is a very classical way of representing a quadratic polynomial as a symmetric matrix. Mm -hmm. So a matrix is symmetric if an ijth entry is equal to the jth entry. And quadratic polynomials in many variables, in n variables, are exactly n by n symmetric matrices. Why? Because if you have a symmetric matrix, and if you give me a vector, and you want to evaluate the quadric on that vector, you just multiply your matrix from one Mm -hmm. side and from another, and you get a number. Mm -hmm. And this number is a quadric in the vector you have given me. Now, what about higher degree polynomials? Well, you can guess. Degree one polynomial was a vector. Degree two polynomial was a matrix. Degree three polynomial will be already, let's call it an honest tensor. Mm -hmm. It will not be a matrix. It will uh, not be, uh, well, it will be a, an element of some vector space, but we would say that this is a three tensor. And tensors coming from polynomials are called symmetric tensors, very special. Uh, tensors with a lot of nice properties. So this is one way, and I promised you more ways. Now, let me tell you something amazing that at this point maybe uh, maybe students will not believe. But the tensor product in geometry is used to define the usual Cartesian product of the geometric objects. So, if you want to formally define what's a product of two geometric objects, we call them varieties, and the varieties you know are maybe a line or a plane, but if you imagine a surface or a parabola, that's also a variety. And it is, I think, very intuitive that if you have two such objects, you should be able to take their Cartesian product not only as a set, it should also be a geometric object. But it turns out that to define it formally, the construction of a tensor product uh, is the central one. Tensor product of algebras this mm-hmm. time. So I would say these are the ways where, where tensors appear very prominently. But but I'm, I'm running here uh, in my research, another program. So I, I really have to say more. Uh, let me <laughs> let me say a, a few more 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 ways. So please, absolutely. So, say you don't like geometry and you don't like algebra. Let's say you what? are a combinatorist.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs>
1: where are where are tensors are there? <laughs> where are tensors there? So they are there, and they are in combinatorics for a good uh, dozens of years. Maybe you heard about the chromatic polynomial, that's a polynomial that counts uh, the the number of uh, colorings of your graph with k colors, Mm -hmm. proper colorings, that's a polynomial. And maybe you want to understand that polynomial. And it turns out that recently there was a breakthrough. Uh, Jun Ha, Karim Adzi-Prazito, Eric Katz proved uh, a long-standing uh, conjecture that the absolute values of the coefficients of the chromatic polynomial are log-concave. So they behave, if you take their logarithms, they are concave. And uh, I would say this is intimately related to tensors. Uh, where is the tensor? So it turns out you can associate to your graph a subspace of diagonal matrices, okay? And a subspace, a linear space of matrices, this is also a tensor. So so each time you have a space of matrices, you should immediately think about it as a tensor. Now, there is an algebra geometric construction, again, if you have a family of matrices, any linear space of matrices, to associate to that subspace numbers through a theory known as cohomology theory. It turns out that the numbers you associate the subspace of diagonal matrices are exactly coefficients of chromatic polynomials. So this deep mathematical theory of cohomology and tensors allowed to solve a very uh, long standing open problem about chromatic polynomials of graphs. Uh, So tensors also appear in domains where you would never expect them, I I would say, because they are everywhere. Mm -hmm.
2: So maybe they're just <laughs> flexible enough to so that we can uh, reflect anything in there.
1: They are very flexible. That is true. I, I completely agree with that. Another example uh, would be to identify not only discrete but continuous probability distributions. Um, if you are having a lot of observations, you may want to reconstruct what is the process that governs it. You maybe look uh, at stars in the sky and you can treat every every star as as an event that happened and you would like to know Uh, What's the process that governs it? Are these stars condensed somewhere? Or maybe you're picking some points at random, but when you're looking at the picture, you see that these points are condensed around some center. And you might want to ask, what are the parameters that govern this process? Uh, This is called uh, maximum likelihood uh, estimation. And uh, what the statistician often does uh, with with such a thing is he, he or she is trying to find the parameters that maximize the probability of observing the data you are given. And uh, one of the numbers that measures the complexity of such a behavior is called the maximum likelihood degree. And the way to compute it uh, also comes through tensors and varieties. Uh, this. Uh, Again, you can use exactly the same cohomology theories I mentioned for chromatic polynomials. The theory is just the same. The only thing you have to change is you, instead of taking a space of diagonal matrices, you have to take a space of symmetric matrices. The mathematical theory just is the same. And in one case, you're getting coefficients of chromatic polynomial. In the other, you're getting uh, maximum likelihood degrees of so-called linear concentration models in statistics. Very powerful way to compute many invariants in mathematics. very nice, very nice.
0: So is the study of tensors using like algebraic varieties something uh, that came from the beginning of tensors? Is it something more recent like when when did it start?
1: Um, this is a good question, and an honest answer would be, I don't know. Certainly in 19th century, people were introducing varieties, very important varieties, that naturally consisted of what we call currently a tensor. This is the middle of the 19th century, where people realized that lines in a three-space, so something very very uh, down to earth they are realized as a four dimensional variety in a five dimensional space and this space would be a space of what we would call skew symmetric tensors but that was before even this vague definition of tensors so it would be crazy <laughs> to assume they 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 knew there is a geometry behind tensors but I would say 19th century mathematicians had a great intuition. They were not as formal as we are, but but these changes of coordinates and uh, tensor transformations, even the cohomology theory I was mentioning, this already appeared in the 19th century just with different names. People were abing, able to do those computations without a solid background of definitions and, and axioms. Now, it's it's a question that maybe we can ask everyone. If you are studying rank one matrices in two by two matrices, do you see the geometry there? Yeah? So two by two matrices, they have four entries. So you can say that this is a four-dimensional vector space. Now, uh, what are what are rank one? Uh, or rank zero matrices there well, you know the polynomial equation yeah that's the determinant a quadratic equation, so in this four dimensional space, matrices that have uh, that have uh, rank one they form a geometric shape. some of the matrices are rank one, some of them are not. And this is exactly what happens for tensors. Uh, The notion of rank generalizes. You can can study tensors of fixed rank. Uh, In fact, it generalizes in a few ways. There is rank, there is border rank, there is cactus rank. All of these concepts are very, very interesting. Uh, but, uh, but much more mysterious than in the case of matrices. And you can ask, what is the geometric shape that tensors of a given rank form? And you can say that people, whenever they were studied it, but of course, in, in a different language. Um, the notions like hyperdeterminant, which is a generalization of the determinant, it goes back to Kiley. So in some sense, you can say that this is a very, very old theory, but of course, the development of new language and uh, advancement of algebraic geometry allowed a tremendous progress and a completely different point of view on those very, very classical and natural topics.
0: So, is it like they were uh, developed, let's say, simultaneously, and then at one point people noticed that they were doing the same thing, but in different languages and now there's like more unified vision of these like concepts?
1: What you are describing would be a dream. Unfortunately, (laughs) I would say that because these tensors appear everywhere, we are not yet fully unified. The way a physicist would denote a tensor, the way the computer scientist would do it and the way I would do it would be very different. And even if we were describing exactly the same tensor, it would take us at least five minutes to realize that, uh, uh, which which is maybe slightly a disadvantage. So the good thing is we are talking about the same thing. The the bad thing is that often we don't realize that we are talking about the same thing. But historically, I would say um, the problem was also elsewhere. Uh, we were missing good foundations to deal formally with tensors. Tensors, they are naturally very high-dimensional objects. And we have to remember that at the beginning of 19th century, people had... T- troubles with dimensions higher than three. The the setting of higher dimensional algebra, even if you have just one vector space, this is only late 19th uh, century and uh, work of Grassmann and others to formally say what we mean. But on the other hand, I mean, these people were not less clever than us. So although they didn't have maybe the terminology, I mean, Schubert could, could do computations that were definitely in very high dimensions. So he didn't know Picard groups, cohomology, and all the things that developed later, but he could answer a lot of questions related to tensors and, and geometry. It was actually Hilbert's problem which was posed at the break of century. Maybe, you know, Hilbert posed a very famous list of problems uh, at the end of 19th or beginning of 20th century that influenced mathematicians, I would say, for at least a century to come. And one of the problems was exactly setting up the foundations for what Schubert was doing in high dimensions. Uh, And I would say this is now settled. So at least the formalism definitely for tensors but also for varieties that live in tensor spaces and how to operate with them is well understood uh, although the language i wouldn't say is unified uh, it's uh, it's still uh, the foundations are the same but the language depends on the community that's using it
2: is this something that you find desirable for the future is this uh, a task for the research community to unify the language or is there maybe it's good that there are different uh, views and they should evolve in competition to uh, stir up more exciting results? Uh,
1: a very good question. I would say there has been a lot of influence uh, due to the fact that, um, that there are these different descriptions of, uh, of tensors uh, Physicists and computer scientists, I would say they are very much representing tensors uh, using the fact that you can multiply matrices. So they are trying to build a big tensor from small ones by joining them together. And there is a very good reason for that. Uh, Notice that if you have a coin that can be in two states, that's not a problem. If you have two coins, then they can be in four states. That's maybe also not a big problem. If you have three coins, that's eight. Four coins, 16. Now, in physics, these coins, they actually remember part, uh, They represent particles and their states. Now, maybe you want to study one, two, three, or four particles, but you usually want to study 100 particles or, or even oh, more. Two
2: to the 23
1: <laughs> particles. Uh, <yeah. laughs> and, and then there is no way of, of taking let's say let's stick to the 100 even mm. in 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 describing 2 to 100 states yeah. yeah but on the other hand they want to do it so so the way this influences mathematics is that they say okay so we have this huge tensor space but actually, what we observe in reality and what we are interested in is a very tiny fraction of tensors that appear there. And we are looking for methods to represent those tensors. Now, this is something that I think mathematicians alone maybe would not be so much interested in. But then there comes this influence. Which tensors can be built from those smaller pieces together? How? What's the dimension? How can we represent them? What are their problems? Properties. So the fact that physicists are using a different notation from one side is painful, but from the other it poses different challenges and um somehow highlight different aspects of tensors. For a mathematician, working in a space of dimension two to a hundred is absolutely not a problem. I mean we sometimes wear it's n in
2: dimensions, dimension n, yeah.
1: Exactly, it's dimension n. I mean, sometimes we work in infinite dimensional vector spaces and and we are also not complaining about that. But the computer well, <laughs> scientist would would complain and, and would not be happy unless beforehand it's specified that we are only interested in some special tensors in that infinite dimensional space. Um, I I would like to also say that I don't think this is only a story about tensors. Like There are other things that appear in mathematics and in physics, like integrals. And I think that students would be surprised that physicists and mathematicians, they note integrals differently, although they believe they do it in the same way. So if you write an (laughs) integral function dx, you're a mathematician. If you're writing an integral dx function, you're a physicist. Hmm. And both of the communities believe that everyone does the same way they do.
2: <laughs> hmm. So, yeah. I thought this is like parenthesis, you know, the integral symbol and the dx and everything that's in the middle is like automatically in parenthesis. So you can write a plus sign in the middle, for instance. So if you write... Because you are a mathematician. Integral dx f plus g, then you need to put parenthesis if you want the g to be integrated.
1: Yes. But the physicist would do that. They would put parentheses. They accept this. Uh, well, okay. I'm not a physicist, so maybe I shouldn't say, but but they would first tell you what they integrate, what's, what's mm-hmm. what the dx, and then let you know the function. Now, in tensors, the notation also translates in, in a straightforward way, but I would say that in physics, uh, people more distinguished between What's a vector space and what's a dual vector space? While for a mathematician, I mean both are just vector spaces. That's interesting, uh, and that's interesting. Um, and the physicist denotes an element of a vector space differently than an element of a dual. Hmm. He a puts bra different a brackets. Cat. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. Hi, hi. The bra and the ket, uh, which, which makes it actually nice because you can pair them together and, and make a number. Yes. So
2: this Dirac formalism is, is extremely beautiful. I also admire it. Maybe it's because of my physics background, but… Uh
1: It is extremely beautiful. There are also other ways which are more pictorial, where a tensor is just represented as a box and how many vector spaces you were tensoring. So what's k in your k-linear map? It's just denoted by the number of legs. Mm -hmm. And first, when I saw it, I I thought there is no point in that. But then I really appreciated it a lot, because if you have a few such objects, you can start joining legs Mm -hmm. and building the graph. And this is exactly how physicists and also computer scientists build tensors, huge tensors from very small ones. Um, notice that this pairing exactly needs you to identify somehow what's a vector space and what's a dual. Because only those fit together, yes. Exactly. But this is something that mathematicians have trouble with. Computer scientists, on the other hand, they completely don't have trouble with it because they usually work with a fixed basis. So for them, a vector space is just a field to power n. And an element, a Mm -hmm. vector, is always an n-tuple of numbers. And pairing an n-tuple of numbers with a different n-tuple of numbers, it's not a problem. You just multiply the first number by a first number, Mm -hmm. you add the second times the second, and so on. Very good. So... Mm-hmm. So I would say these different points of view influence each other. Of course, it's a trouble when we speak. And uh, if you are a mathematician or a physicist and you start talking to one another, of course, everyone has an impression that this other person doesn't know anything. But but it's not no, true. No, no, no. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it's, it's always worthwhile to...
2: Um,
1: it's always, exactly, talk. worthwhile to put an effort and, and to see that we are talking about the same thing, just using a different language it's a very
2: nice way to encourage collaboration across disciplines
1: thank you it's 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 very funny how they call so so when when a physicist tell you bosons i already know that they mean like symmetric tensors so so if you if you want to Talk about symmetric tensors to a physicist you have to use this magic word. Like yes, if you I, want to talk about skew symmetric, you have to use the word fermions. And uh, the language is not unified, but but this is what happens.
0: Do you have a dictionary like for all of this?
1: Well, it's not one to one, so it's always better to make sure you are talking about the same thing, but 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 they really say like I mean, well, bosons and, and, and they really mean symmetric tensors.
2: Yeah, I I remember a talk of Mike Stillman once where where he had this uh, quote that... So I talked to the physicist and they explained me what these supersymmetric hyperpotentials are. And now I tell you, they are variables in a polynomial (laughs) ring. and (laughs) and So then then he he explained part of this dictionary and um, had very funny uh, funny physics
1: names. Uh, This is true. So physicists are much better at finding names. I mean, they also have special names for special tensors. So it's at first very hard to follow them because they will tell you well let's take the whatever ekz tensor and and how are you mm-hmm. supposed to know what 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 that means but the good news is that these are usually very simple tensors what what uh, that that have names so once you unravel what kind of tensor it is it's usually a very simple tensor
2: yeah very nice and yeah I thank you uh, <laughs> in the name of everybody that you're doing this uh, interdisciplinary work of uh, completing the dictionary and uh, working on uh, the understanding between physics, mathematics and other areas. Very
1: nice. Well, thank you a lot. I I, I wouldn't say I'm I'm like an expert there. There are very Good um, uh, books, and, and for example, J.M. Landsberg is a person who certainly tries to keep connections to mathematics, complexity theory, uh, and physics. Bern Sturmfels is uh, probably uh, the, uh, the uh, person who is most prominent in algebraic statistics, but he also has uh, very deep work on, uh, on, the, on, the, on an algebraic side of, uh, of tensors and probably 10 other branches um, of mathematics, not only. Where tensors appear, but uh, but uh, related things. Uh, If I may, I would also like to take this opportunity to advertise our new book with Bernsteinfeld's Invitation to Nonlinear Algebra. There is a whole chapter about tensors and how to interpret matrix multiplication as a tensor is in particular there.
0: Uh, Talking about books, are there any news that you would like to share with us in the tensor literature or any upcoming uh, projects?
1: uh, let me start maybe with an anecdote that J.M. Landsberg shared with me that he 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 currently has two books related very much to Tensors, one also uh, more maybe to complexity theory. But he said that when one book appeared, it was basically a whole book about Tensors. And about the same time, there was like a huge book, I think over 800 page, pages about Tensors by Wolfgang Hackbusch, who was a director at the MPI Institute. And what was amazing that these two books somehow appeared. They were all about tensors. They were all about math of tensors and so on. But basically, there is no intersection among them. So, uh, so <laughs> this is this is a feature of tensors how broad subject this is. I mean, even if you are trying to write a comprehensive book about tensors, you can write two, and and there is enough room <laughs> to, uh, to. Uh, to not intersect depending what aspects of tensors you are more interested in. And I still hope there is room for more. In particular, I am planning to uh, write a book on geometric aspects of tensors and relations to secant varieties. But I hope also not to neglect these relations to, to other uh, sciences.
2: Good. i are looking forward to it.
0: Yes, looking forward to, to reading your book.
1: If if it comes to books, I I also uh, can uh, can recommend uh, algebraic complexity uh, theory, uh, which uh, which you will see there how tensors are prominent when uh, when you want to study algorithms. There is a whole chapter about fast matrix multiplication there.
2: Thank you very much, Mateusz. This was uh, very insightful, and um, yeah, uh, we'll see you soon hopefully after thank all this you a lot. It uh, was, mess is over
1: thank you a lot it was a l- real pleasure to talk about tensors and I hope everyone will be excited about them I'm sure tensors will be one of the most important words in future mathematics both pure and applied so it's definitely worth learning them as, as, as they are applied everywhere thank you a lot Thank Thank you
0: very much, Mateusz. And I would also like to say, I hope people could see your face and how you just like brighten whenever you talk about tensors. It's really nice to see all your excitement about tensors. It's really contagious. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you a lot.